For more than a decade, a slow-burning tragedy has been unfolding in Mexico. As the drug war has continued, it has swallowed up many young people who end up being disappeared by drug cartels. More than 70,000 people have gone missing, and it's become so common that parents of the disappeared are now taking things into their own hands. The Union Tribune's Wendy Fry and Alejandro Tamayo have been chronicling the stories of those missing in Mexico and have produced a documentary on the issue. For the San Diego Union Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Wendy Fry, you cover Baja for the San Diego Union Tribune, and Alejandro Tamayo, you are the video director for the Union Tribune, and this documentary just went live online today. Both of you have reported on Baja for some time. Wendy, can you tell us about the decision to turn this story into a documentary? Sure. It it was a story that we've been following for several months, and just hearing each parent's story, we got a sense that we really wanted viewers or the public to be able to hear the stories from from their own mouth of the family members who were most affected by that. So, And one of the best tools to do that with, obviously, is video. So we decided that we wanted to take a longer look at it. Mm Mm-hmm. And what are some of the conditions that caused so many people to get disappeared? Can you give us a lay of the land of kind of how this has gone on for so long? Sure. So um, there's quite a lot of uh, drug trade fueled violence, as you know, um, in the area. And uh, younger kids sort of get swept in or, or brought into it um, at a, on a large scale. And uh, right now we're just seeing there's there's um you know that the, there's several different large drug trafficking organizations right and when they have one of them has control of of the drug trafficking routes in Tijuana then there's more stability really there's less violence and more stability but right now there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of violence because nobody uh is really in control so there's a lot of infighting at the bottom among the really really lower level drug dealers, just your average street corner drug dealer. And uh, and, and in the midst of all that violence, a lot of people are getting gunned down and just left in the street, but then a lot of other people get taken. Um, And usually when somebody gets taken, usually the inference is that maybe they have some kind of information that somebody wants. So they don't just kill them right there. They take them somewhere and find out something from them. And then those are the people that have been being are disappearing uh, in really large numbers. And so it's one of the biggest problems facing Mexico right now. We spoke to national officials who called it the biggest crisis in Mexico right now. Mm-hmm. And, and with this story, one of the hard, hardest things is how do you tell this story visually? I mean, it's it's a very difficult story to tell visually. And uh, that's one of the struggles that we had at the beginning of this. It, it was like, OK, yeah, we've covered maybe a few uh, searches, uh, spoken to a few parents, but uh, other news organizations have covered this with just photography uh, and a lot of great reporting. But uh, we did something different. And like Wendy said, we tried to turn this into a documentary that people really haven't seen uh, visually. I mean, yeah, you see the photo here, you'll see a photo there, but not not a documentary where we really go deep into this subject and uh, not just not just speak to the officials, but speak to the parents and get, uh, get real uh, views of what's happening during some of these searches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a real challenge with this story is that it's a tragedy that's been unfolding for so long 
that, you know, regular journalism tends to be focused on those kinds of moments of action, while really this is something you kind of need to step back and look at from that 10,000 foot view to truly understand, you know, the pain that so many people are feeling. Right. That's the thing. That's the part that we really wanted to try to show is that this this pain that these mothers and fathers and family members endure, you know, they're they're heartbroken for life. They're never going to get over this. And a lot of them are never going to get answers either. So they have to hold on. They do hold on to that little bit of hope that maybe their family member is just out there somewhere. And that's almost torturous for them. Um, and so that is the part, as Alejandro mentioned, that's the part that's really hard to show that pain. Um, and and really, you really can hear it when you when you see these moms out there looking, um, when you hear the moms talking about their plight. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Alejandro, just how much of the fact that there are so many people who have been disappeared for so long, how does that kind of affect daily life in Tijuana? Is this just a part of the fabric of everyday life? I mean, you see it. You see it around. You see it in, in protests. There's a lot of people, uh, not just not just people, but these collectives, these parents that will go out to the streets and and do protest uh, rallies uh, in all parts of the city at government offices. And and we do see it. I mean, one of the, the most uh, amazing things that I discovered during this, uh, and Wendy too, was there's a Facebook group here in in Tijuana, just Tijuana only, with over thirty thousand members searching for their loved ones. And that was something that when I looked at that. I mentioned that to Wendy. I was like, whoa, that is a huge number of people searching for loved ones or interested in search of others. And um, it, 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 I didn't know that that was how big that big, how that big that group was. But uh, yeah, it, it's like you said, it, it is something we see here every day, but I didn't really know how big it was. Mm-hmm. It's almost if you start talking to anybody anywhere, they'll know, they'll either know somebody or somebody who, you know, they'll they'll know somebody that had this has affected. So it's touched almost everyone that you talk to in Tijuana in some way. Either it's an uncle or a, you know, friend of a brother or something, but they know somebody who is missing. Mm-hmm. And Wendy, uh, kind of going back into the history of this story, what are some of the policy decisions that have led to this instability that has caused this low-level drug war in Tijuana and across Mexico? Can you kind of explain how things got to this point kind of, you know, a decade ago? Sure. Um, I mean, I think when uh, Felipe Calderon started the drug war in Mexico in 2006, um, that put Mexican military um, on the street uh, and allowed sort of a use of force against citizens um, that has been highly questioned since then um, in the media. And that's, you know, public information. And um, when they started kind of going after the, and this was based on U.S. policy too, but going after the the head of the snake or the top of the um, drug cartel as a strategy, that created a lot of, like we mentioned earlier, just instability, no no structure, nobody's really in charge, and so everybody's going to fight it out for for being in charge. So that increased a lot of the violence as well. And then, of course, we can't we can't not mention that that it's it's U.S. Um, appetite for illegal drug use that fuels this whole uh, drug trade, right? So if Americans weren't buying, and that's one of the, one of what I really hoped people would see is if, if, if Americans weren't buying illegal drugs, that, um, that that situation has a real impact on families and real people in Mexico and creates a lot of tragedy and a lot of suffering. Mm-hmm. 
Certainly. And uh, earlier this year, Wendy, you followed the story of one woman who got a tip that her son was buried in this abandoned house. Can you recap that story? Sure. So um, Barbara Martinez's son, he was 17 years old and he was taken from their home in October 2018. And she searched for him. She would uh, stream her live stream her her searches um, more in the wilderness, you know, more sort of like your typical searches where they go out looking for the clandestine mass graves out in the remote areas of Baja, California. And she was doing that and somebody responded to her that they knew where her son was and they knew where he died, um, where he was tortured and died. And they gave her a lot of information. They described what he was wearing. You know, she has conversations that are very specific that that led her to believe, that would be probably anyone to believe that it wasn't just some random kook, you know, messing with her. Um, and so she fought for several, several months um, to get access, to be able to, to have the authorities to give the okay for her to go ahead and access this property. And that fight went on for years and a couple years. And then the uh, parent collective that she was part of finally decided to kind of protest and go ahead and go into the house. Um, mm-hmm. There had already been remains found there before, prior, um, that was actually a friend of her son. So they felt that they had a strong amount of evidence to go in and they searched and searched for weeks. They completely demolished the house. Government workers came and helped them completely level uh, the property, uh, but she never she never found the remains of her son. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I, I believe with that, with that coverage and that story that day was kind of like the beginning of this project. I mean, when we saw that there was so much attention uh, uh, towards Barbara and and her finding her son and w- what if the son was there uh, at any moment? I mean, Wendy and I were both there covering this story. At, at any moment, uh, this body could have been discovered. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't. But I mean, it was a long day of just waiting and waiting and listening. And I just remember the dust everywhere. Uh, the house was still kind of intact, and and just uh, we were just kind of just waiting out in the wings. Um, it, it was, I mean, it was, it was hard. And I remember there's a, there's a really clear thing that I remember that I, I don't think I've ever showed it in the documentary, but just to see uh, Barbara's hands, I took a picture of this, uh, Barbara's hands, how, how, um, I mean, they were just like scratched up and, and, and a little bit of a cut up because she was just actually, I mean, she, she really participated in the dig. I mean, she was digging, I mean, deep. They, when I thought they were going to dig like maybe three feet, no, they went like, I believe almost three meters deep. So it was, it was quite, quite, uh, quite a sight, and uh, definitely don't re- don't will not forget that day. It was a long, long day. Mm-hmm. And now that there's so many bands of these parents that are working together, trying to discover someone's mm-hmm. remains, how has the federal government in Mexico responded to that? Because that really shows the level of desperation, the fact that these ordinary people are taking it into their own hands. I do think the federal government has stepped up. Uh, both, I think, the state and the federal government has stepped up in 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 starting to address it. Now, it's such a huge, out of control problem now at this point that it's going to take a really long time to get um, to get anywhere to where people are starting to feel safe again. But they they greatly increased the resources for the National Search Commission. Um, President De- President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador he increased it, I think, by. 80 percent or so. He he gave them a lot more money to do what they need to do, and um, 
uh, as well as the the state of Baja California has hired or put someone into place that is he he used to be one of these parents looking for his son. And he, you know, lobbied and, and worked and tried to get attention of authorities forever. And so now they put him in charge um, of the state commission, search commission. So, so the parents have someone that they know has been through it rather than a government official or rather than um, someone they, that they previously sort of felt like they had to fight with. Uh, now they have someone that they know is, is working um, or has been through what they're, they're going through. Mm-hmm. And it's also worth noting that among the disappeared are some Americans. What, if anything, has our government done to try to find people you know, who are citizens who've gone missing? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, there, there's there's not a lot. Local police departments will say there's really not a lot that they can do. You know, they have no jurisdiction in Mexico. They can't come down here and do police work. And so um, the FBI... Uh, does work here sometimes, you know, they do investigate if somebody uh, commits a crime against an American citizen, if someone kills an American citizen, I think that they do have jurisdiction to investigate, but um, there's, they don't have investigative abilities here. So their only option really is to work with the authorities. And sometimes when they're working with the authorities, they aren't really sure um, if they're getting all the information, if they're getting the right information, there's there's mistrust there between the agencies, even even here locally between the state and the municipal police agencies. There's mistrust mm-hmm. in between those two, so it's really hard. Um, as far as what they can do, I mean, they could they the they could pass it up through the state department and apply pr- pressure politically. Uh, but as far as from a law enforcement angle, they don't really have a lot of of power or you know anything that they could do here. Yeah, from what you're describing, it appears that there's a real breakdown in trust when it comes between Mexican nationals and their government, and that's even harder to fix than it is to throw money at a problem. So when considering potential solutions and ending this drug war, or at least having more control over it, what would it take to slow down this level of violence? Can you kind of characterize just how much of a problem it is and what federal resources would be necessary to find some answers for someone here? Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a huge question. I mean, I know there's tons of people who would love to have the answer to that. I I think, um, you know, geez, <laughs> uh, I guess go ahead, Alejandro. Do you- I, mean, I mean, one of the, I mean, not really the answer, but uh, going a little bit back to the question prior to is like uh, our subject, one of our subjects that we interviewed um, in Hesperia, Jesse uh, Barajas, uh, an American citizen, when he discovered that uh, his brother had gone missing in Tecate and he tried to get help uh, out, out there. I mean, he knew and he discovered how how difficult it was for him to to get the help. And he, as an American citizen, I mean, tried everything to to find his brother, to locate his brother, to get the resources to help him find his brother. But uh, he felt very I mean, what, I don't know what the word is, but I mean, he got to a point where he felt so bad that he now understands the rest of the people in Baja California and how they have to struggle now for the same thing. I mean, and and he thought, oh, I'm going to go down there and, and find them. But no, nope, it wasn't like that. And, and it's sad because uh, it's not just Jesse. I mean, it's a lot of people that have their uh, 
uh, family members missing and, and they can't get help. And to answer the question that you just mentioned, I mean, what does it take or what will it take? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have the answer to that. We definitely don't have the answer to that, but we are just showing you a, a fraction of what the problem is down in Baja California um, currently. Mm -hmm. Right, I don't think, yeah, anybody really has the answer to it or hopefully that they would, they would try to do it. But I, to Alejandro's point, when he was talking about um, Jesse just described, you know, how much he feels like they, they push off or they, they, they don't really uh, take seriously these parents who are looking for their kids. So I think that that's somewhere where they could start is really um, giving them, you know, making the time to sit down with them and listen to their cases and investigate their cases. Um, I mean, I think it would be a, very hard given the number of cases that they have to deal with every day. So they're probably dealing with a lot of burnout and overwhelm. But um, that was one of the things that he mentioned is that, you know, they'll make a meeting with you and then they'll just cancel it and they don't really um, pay attention at all to to our cases. So that would be somewhere where they could definitely start. Mm -hmm. yeah, and certainly like a problem like this, even if you magically had the funds and the resources to really change it, it would take a matter of years for it to actually produce results because this backlog of so many people that are missing, it's, it's you know, tr truly tragic. Right. The, the president of Mexico has talked a lot about the, the solution is build better schools, make better neighborhoods, have playgrounds where kids can go play and be safe, and then good paying jobs, you know, education and good paying jobs to help these communities not not have so many options of kids that they can just draw into this drug war. Mm -hmm. And after hearing these stories of these parents that are searching for their missing loved ones, if uh, I'm someone that wants to help, are there any nonprofits or organizations that an American can donate to to help? No, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that. And um, a lot of the parents will say, you know, they don't want it to come off like they're, they're, trying to profit somehow from their child's disappearance. But a lot of them, I mean, they don't, so, some, sometimes they don't have money for gas to get to the, to the search or, you know, even purchasing the shovels that they're using is a, is a strain on the family. So I'm sure that that would really help that some kind of nonprofit fundraiser would really help. The parents don't create their own GoFundMes or anything like that because they, you know, they don't want to feel like, like, they're getting anything. All they want is their child back. All they want is to be able to grieve and know what happened. They don't want people to feel like they need to help in that way. But I do feel, I do think that some kind of fundraiser type thing would definitely help them um, finances, their searches and their equipment, and maybe make them a little bit safer when they're out doing those searches. Mm -hmm. And certainly just knowing that this is a problem itself is helpful for Americans to understand that this is, you know, a tertiary effect of the U.S. drug trade and the fact that, you know, it's so profitable. So just knowing that it exists is a step towards, you know, potentially finding a solution eventually. And finally, uh, moving forward, uh, how do both of you plan covering this issue? Alejandro, why don't you go first? Uh, well, Wendy and I have both been covering this story for quite a while, and um, we're definitely happy that uh, we got this story out um, this this year. It's a story that, uh, I mean, it's not a story you want to share, but it's a story that needs to be told. And um, we did go through a lot to, to get this story uh, done before the new year. And um, <clears throat> I mean, going forward, 
I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, as the as the as the person in charge of the video team at the San Diego Union Tribune, I mean, I don't know what what projects will be coming my way. Um, this one kind of just happened to, happened to just uh, appear, uh, and we had about a six weeks uh, time time frame to get it out. And so we definitely pushed ourselves to create this uh, 23 minute documentary. And uh, I know Wendy and I both were the ones out on the field, but it did take a team. Uh, behind the scenes, uh, I mean, for the translations, we have help with that. For just checking their subtitles, we have help, tons of help with that. Uh, and creating little graphics and um, and animations, we had help with that. So, it, it was a it was a really big project and uh, a big collaboration. And in, in the end, uh, so there were other people that were definitely involved with this. And I really want to thank uh, the people that we interviewed. I mean, they gave us their time uh, and our 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 colleague. Uh, former colleague uh, Sandra Dibble, who definitely invited us to her home and, and shared with us um, her knowledge about the city of Tijuana, and which she has great knowledge of that. And so it, it was it was a really uh, like I said, it was a really good team effort, and um, I'm really happy to get this thing done. But at the same time, sad that it's it's what's happening right now, um, not just in Tijuana but in all of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And Wendy. I just definitely um, exactly what Alejandro said. It was really challenging as far as um, it's just so sad and so overwhelming. And there's so many parents going through this in Mexico. And like you said, you know, like you kind of pointed out, it's it's really hard to think of like, okay, there's a solution, you know, and that sort of helps you get through something. But um, yeah, with this story, it was just very um, difficult to see so many people going through so much pain. Um, and we, we are... Uh, glad to that people have interest in in finding out about what's going on, and as far as continuing coverage, we do have a few a few uh, angles that we want to follow up on. A few, you know, different questions we still feel are unanswered that we want to get answered from authorities and elsewhere. So we we'll, we will keep trying to do that um, as we go into the next year for sure. All right, Alejandro Tamayo, Wendy Fry, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to San Diego News Fix. San Diego News Fix is a production of the San Diego Union Tribune. This podcast editor is digital creative director, Beto Alvarez. As we start 2021, I hope the new year is better than this one. We'll be taking Friday off and we will resume broadcasts on Monday. Until next time.